welcome to Ipsa Dixit, a podcast on legal scholarship. I'm your host, Brian L. Fry, Spears Gilbert Associate Professor of Law at the University of Kentucky College of Law. My guest is Catherine E. Carrick, a student at the University of New Hampshire Franklin Pierce School of Law. We will discuss her note, Should Donald Trump's Make America Great Again slogan receive trademark protection, which will be published in the University of New Hampshire Law Review. So welcome to the show, Katie. Thank you. Glad to be here. Yeah, no, I'm glad to have you on the show. Um, So when I asked uh, Alex Roberts which student I should talk to uh, who had a really excellent note, she (laughs) recommended you. And I have to say, I always trust Alex, and she was 100% right about this. This is a really great note. I think you did a fantastic job. And it's a really fun read. Too. So um, listeners should be watching out for it when awesome. it when it shows up in 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 the law journal. Um, but before we talk more specifically about the infamous Donald Trump slogan, <laughs> I wonder if for listeners who might not know that much about trademark law, you could talk a little bit about sort of what the requirements for a mark to be registrable to be protected by trademark are. Like, what does an applicant have to prove in order to register a a mark? Yeah, for sure. So basically, I think the main thing that a trademark has to do is identify a specific source. And it's worth noting that a trademark can really be anything. There are scents, like smells that are trademarks. There are colors that are trademarks, words, slogans, logos. It really could be anything as long as it identifies the source. So that is the main requirement. Um, There are some other more specific requirements, and I talk about a few of them in the introduction section of the note, such as a mark can't be functional. So if something is functional, or if the mark is functional, it, um, by giving someone trademark protection, you are effectively taking that use away from other competitors. So giving the owner of the trademark that use to use alone is problematic. So the trademark has to only be a trademark and can't have some other important use. Um, The trademark also has to be distinctive, and we use distinctiveness as a proxy for a mark's ability to be associated with a unique source rather than being a logical connection in the consumer's mind. So like using Apple as a mark for a fruit versus using Apple as a mark for computers. The computer example is distinctive, where the fruit example is not. Um, And like I said, there's a spectrum, so there's a little bit of wiggle room, but the more distinctive, the more likely your mark will be protected and registered with the USPTO. Um, Also, the mark has to be used in commerce. Um, Professor Roberts explains this as, or uh, more broadly explains it as, a mark has to function as a trademark and it can't fail to function as a trademark. Um, So one way marks fail to trademark a lot is, or fail to function as a mark is if they are used ornamentally. So a good example of that would be if you put the mark just on the front of a shirt and it's used in a more decorative sense, that might not get trademark protection because there are specific ways and specific places the mark has to be placed for it to be functioning in it as a trademark. So, may- so maybe you could talk a little bit about kind of the history of political slogans because it's pretty, pretty interesting kind of story, and it seems like they've been used for a long time, right? But maybe not always in a sort of trademark way, or at least 
candidates don't seem like they've always approached political slogans as like the subject for trademark protection. And it seems like to some degree that's changing now. Right. I think that's one of the most interesting things about the MAGA mark. And um, so basically, obviously, campaign slogans have always existed. And it's a good way um, to catch the constituent's eye and to have something that's quippy and can be memorable. But um, from based on my research, Make America Great Again is, if not the only, one of the only political slogans that has been registered with the USPTO. And that automatically has some implications with uh, political speech versus commercial speech because trademarks almost inherently have to be commercial speech because part of the whole idea of trademarks is to be able to profit off of the exclusive use of the mark, right? So to be able to use the slogan and not let anyone else use a slogan in a trademark way um, could be problematic when you're talking about speech that is political, which I think campaign slogans are. <laughs> so maybe we could talk, you could talk a little bit like specifically about the MAGA slogan. Like, where did it come from? When did Donald Trump start using it? And sort of what was the sort of registration process like so far? Sure. So President Trump, his campaign committee uh, applied to register the Make America Great Again trademark in 2012. And it was granted in 2015. And since then, he has had two more... um, trademarks granted for different classes of goods. So in the beginning, it was just for um, political action committee services and fundraising. And now he has more protection for uh, campaign buttons, hats, uh, dog hoodies, bikinis, things like that, just the normal campaign stuff. Um, So he has the three trademarks now. But I think the equally interesting thing about the development of Make America Great Again was that he's not the first presidential candidate to use it. Ronald Reagan used the exact same slogan, Make America Great Again, in uh, the 1980s in his presidential campaign. Uh, Bill Clinton used the phrase in multiple speeches when uh, he was campaigning in the 90s, and there are examples of other presidential candidates, even in the 2016 election, who also used the phrase in their speeches. So uh, Donald Trump does claim that he coined the phrase and made up the phrase, but um, there's some evidence otherwise. So, well, ir- irrespective of the truth value of Donald Cl- Trump's claim to have originated with the phrase, from a trademark perspective, could he still register it as a trademark, even if it had been previously used by someone else? In other words, is that disqualifying for Donald Trump to claim it as a trademark, or is it just a factor we might consider? I think it's a factor we might consider specifically when it comes to what I said before is the main function of a trademark, which is to identify the source. If you can point to so many other examples of other people in the exact same situation who are using the mark, or the slogan in this case, I I think that weighs against the mark's ability to function as an indication of source. So in other words, when you see Make America Great Again, or at least when he applied to register the mark in 2012, Mm. and even in 2015, when you saw Make America Great Again, 
as a consumer, did you immediately identify with the singular source of Donald Trump? Yeah. Do you think it's fair to say that maybe registration or the viability of the mark for registration in 2012 or 2015 was lower, perhaps, than it is today? Right. And I mentioned that where I think no matter what, now he has acquired uh, distinctiveness. And I think anyone today in 2019 would identify him as the source of a hat that says Make America Great Again on it. Uh, but at the time, I think it was much more up for debate. Mm. So setting aside the kind of commercial political distinction, mm -hmm. which is really interesting, I'd, I'd like to return to that in a moment. Do you see any kind of formal problems related to like the distinctiveness, functionality, failure to function type requirements for trademark registration that you mentioned earlier, kind of either in the abstract or maybe with respect to particular ways in which the slogan is actually used? In other words, you know, should it be registered even if it seems to right. be indicating source? And are there areas where it's more or less appropriate to sort of s potentially see enforcement of the slogan as a mark? Yeah, definitely. I think there are some issues just based on the key doctrinal trademark issues that we talked about earlier. For one, when you apply to register a trademark with the USPTO, you have to attach specimens, which are pictures or illustrations of your mark being used, it, it's proof that your mark is being used as a trademark. Um, and in a lot of the specimens that Trump attached to the original applications, um, the uses seem to be pretty ornamental. So it would be the uh, cover photo on his Twitter page or just the words make America great again on a hat. Um, those are not typical ways in which we would say is a trademark use. It's more decorative. Um, it doesn't serve to identify the source as its main function. So uh, I think there are definitely some issues with ornamentality. Um, and I also think that it's not very distinctive to for a slogan for a presidential campaign to be Make America Great Again. I think just in general, I would hope at least that every presidential candidate wants to make America great again. Um, and that brings us to a really interesting concept that I hadn't heard before I really started researching this topic, but um, there's this concept called merely informational matter, which slogans that are, or which people who are trying to register slogans run into a lot, which basically just means that it's, the mark can't be registered because all it is is information. It can't signify source, or it can't identify a specific source because all it really is is information. So think about like um, drive safely. Volvo tried to register that, but it's that's not a source identifier. That's just telling people to drive safely, right? It's information. Uh, and also think green for um, environmental consciousness. It's the same kind of idea. There was one specific case where a political slogan could not be registered because it was merely informational matter, and uh, the slogan was no more rhinos. Rhinos is Republican in name only. And uh, the court there said that the slogan was so common in the political market that consumers would be unlikely to identify the applicant specifically as a source of goods. I had never heard that phrase before, but I had heard Make America Great Again before. <laughs> so uh, it, that question just popped out to me right mm -hmm. away. Well, so it seems like the kind of classic 
example of the Trump MAGA mark is the iconic red hat with the slogan in white on the front of it. Is that the kind of thing we might call potentially an ornamental use? And if so, what kind of use of the slogan like in that context would be perhaps less ornamental. In other words, what what kinds of uses would be more likely to be a use functioning as a mark as opposed to a use functioning as kind of communicating information? So, yeah, like you said, just putting it on the front of a hat doctrinally is an ornamental use. With clothes and uh, items of clothing specifically, usually the trademark spot as it's called, it would be on like a tag or on the label on the inside because that indicates the source, right? Like you don't necessarily look to the front of a shirt to see where you're getting the shirt from. You look at the tag. Um, so the whole point of that is putting it on the front of the hat does not necessarily indicate the source. So that's an ornamental use. Um, interestingly, though, in uh, one of his applications, it was initially refused by the USPTO and in his response to why it shouldn't be refused which they agreed with he attached uh, a bunch of different pictures of um, hats with the logo on the front and they or the logo or the mark and all of those were registered and they were taken as trademark uses but there's a key difference because in a lot of the examples that he used it was like the masters or gold's gym it wasn't slogans so i think that that's why this specific example it's different from the examples that he provided because a slogan just in general is so much more unlikely to be associated with the source because it's just like we were saying it's information gold's gym is not Information. Gold Gym is the source, right? And same with the Masters, the golf tournament. So, Yeah, I mean, if I may, it, it seems like in a way it's like the use of the slogan on the hat is communicating information, namely, I support Donald Trump. But it's not necessarily communicating the specific information, this article of clothing comes from Donald Trump. Right, exactly. Well, so what about this sort of commercial speech, political speech distinction you were talking about earlier and that you discuss in in your paper, right? And we normally think about trademarks as sort of kind of iconic forms of commercial speech, but you know, and and political speech as sort of being in this sort of unique First Amendment sort of silo, right. which you know can come into tension with trademark law in some cases to the extent that people want to criticize the use of a mark or criticize sort of a brand or something like that. Um, how did the how do you think that you know we ought to think about political speech in the context of trademark protection? And should the fact that something is political speech affect its registrability, in your opinion? I think it depends because I think there's definitely an intersection or there can be an intersection between uh, the two kinds of speech. There's what they're at tension, obviously, because like you mentioned, the First Amendment protection is at its highest with political speech, and political speech is, because of that, afforded certain protections. You're you're allowed to say more if you're speaking politically than you may be in other contexts. Um, if it's commercial speech, it's kind of the opposite, right? Like, 
you there are specific laws and causes of action put into place where if you are speaking commercially like in an advertisement or with trademark law um if you are deceiving consumers there's a cause of action for that that a consumer can bring against you for deception um so those two seem inherently at odds so i think that you kind of and courts have done this you almost have to decide if there's aspects of political and commercial speech in one thing you have to decide which outweighs the other and i think only if the commercial aspects outweigh the political aspects can it be registered as a trademark right well i mean it seems like we kind of don't want to associate political activity with commercial activity right right? i mean in a sense the whole point of trademark protection is to ensure that consumers know the source of whatever communications they're receiving. But it seems like sort of creating a monopoly over the ability to indicate the source of political speech is sort of runs counter to what we think of political speech as being as being for in some ways. Right, exactly. The whole point of the trademark is to monopolize the ability to profit off of the use of the mark versus in political speech, everyone should be allowed to say whatever they want. So those two are in complete tension. And like I said, I think one automatically wins out over the other. And that's how courts have decided these issues of the intersection between political and commercial speech. It's one or the other. It can be used or it can't be used. Mm. And it also seems to me like some of the traditional concerns associated with um, with trademark law and trademark protection, like, for example, passing off don't seem like such a risk in the context con- context of political speech. I mean, it seems pretty unlikely that competitors, such as it were, are are unlikely to want to pass off their speech as being the speech of, of Donald Trump, for example. Like, I can't imagine, say, Bernie Sanders sort of trying to appropriate Make America Great Again, right. unless it were in a way that indicated that he wasn't praising Donald Trump, for example. Right. And again, I think because the market has become so saturated with the Donald Trump-specific merchandise, it's become a little bit of a different issue. But just in general, this is such a good example of why maybe political slogans should not be registrable at all, because I don't think it's fair, and whether it's true or not, whether he would be able to enforce it or police it, he has argued that that he should be the only political candidate to be able to say the words and use the words, make America great again. And that just doesn't make sense to me. (laughs) Just out of curiosity, I mean, has Donald Trump been using the phrase make America great again in a commercial way as well? And is there room, do you think, to have a mark that's kind of both political and commercial at the same time? Or is that something that we should really resist like as a matter of policy? I think we should be resisting it as a matter of policy if the origin of the phrase is political, like a political slogan is. So the way that I see it, he has the political slogan and he's using it in the capacity as, like, that is his slogan, right? But he has turned it into something completely different and he's made his campaign revolve basically entirely around the merchant the the mega merchandise the numbers actually are pretty astounding he spent over in the 2016 election uh 75 percent of his 
uh, campaign funding on MAGA merchandise. He blew all the other candidates out of the water on that. So there there might be room for it. I think it, it could be seen as just being uh, savvy, business savvy, and it could be seen as a really good marketing tactic because now we all do identify the MAGA hat with Donald Trump. And I think a lot of people have identified with the slogan. So it could just be a really good strategy. But on the other hand, there are all the problems with it being political speech and becoming commercial. Um, I don't think that trademark law should be the way to enforce being able to make money off of that phrase because it's inherently political speech rather than commercial. Yeah, I mean, I just wonder, like, as a hypothetical, right? I mean, it it seems like the, the key here is whether people can use the phrase specifically to express support for Donald Trump without Donald Trump's permission. I mean, it seems pretty clear to me that under trademark law and certainly under First Amendment principles, you could use the phrase to criticize Donald Trump without question, right? Because then there wouldn't be any risk of confusion, right. right? But the real question for me from a trademark perspective is, can I say make America great again and put it on commercial merchandise and sell it without Donald Trump's permission? And I guess there would be the, the question like, can I make a red hat with white letters on it without Donald Trump's permission and sell it versus can I just use the phrase in a way that has a kind of brand distinctiveness that doesn't directly compete with the Donald Trump merchandise but expresses the same underlying political concepts? Do you think there's a difference between the two or should both be things that trademark law should permit uh, competitors in a commercial sense to do? Well, I think part of the problem is the way that Donald Trump, there there are tons of articles out there about how he's trying to enforce it and trying to say that other people, no one should be able to say it. He's sent cease and desist letters to his political competitors who have said the phrase. He's sent cease and desist letters to online uh, marketplaces who have, like you said, sold the red hats that say make America great again. So part of the problem is the way that he is uh putting it out there that he thinks the protection that he has is a lot greater than it is because I do agree with what you're saying I think that there could be room for other people to use the phrase and use it commercially and sell hats that say make America great again or sell other items that say it but um, the way that he's talking about it his protection he thinks his protection is a lot broader than it actually is Mm. so I'm not sure if based on everyone's perception both would be able to exist at this point Mm -hmm. well so changing gears a little bit katie uh, i wonder if you could talk a little bit uh for student listeners who might be kind of thinking about starting writing their own uh student note now sort of how you came to this topic and sort of the initial stages of developing the topic into a research project yeah definitely um so my favorite class so far in law school has been trademarks, and it never had really happened to me before where I would have those, like, aha moments or, like, those real-life thoughts that are brought into the class where it's like, oh, wait, but what about this? But what about this? Um, until in my trademark class with Professor Roberts, shout out, um, when we were talking about residual goodwill where someone uses a fr- uh, uses a phrase or something that had been used in the past 
specifically because of the good thing the good things that consumers associated with that phrase or whatever it was um and i immediately thought of donald trump's use of make america great again because when i first heard that he was using that phrase i thought of ronald reagan and how successful that campaign and this use of that slogan was for him so i immediately first i thought my paper was actually going to be about uh his residual goodwill or Donald Trump's use of the residual goodwill that Ronald Reagan had created with the make America great again phrase. But, um, so I brought the idea to professor Roberts, who was my note advisor and, uh, talked about it a bit. And I started researching just on Google, uh, about the, about MAGA and, I saw that he had the registrations, and I looked at the details of the registrations, and it started to seem a little fishy to me. So uh, what turned into a very specific trademark issue really turned into a more broad analysis of whether that should be a trademark in the first place. Um, And it really just blew up from there. (laughs) So I got to say, this Gen Xer is thrilled (laughs) that a millennial's first thought upon hearing Donald Trump's phrase is something from my childhood, (laughs) right? And you mentioned earlier that you were a history student as an undergrad, I take it. Uh, I mean, I wonder, do you think that your background in history was helpful for you, both in sort of identifying a note topic and developing the research for for your paper? And what do you think about kind of leveraging your kind of outside of law school knowledge for the purpose of sort of your law school activities? I Yeah, I would definitely say that my outside knowledge helped because I, I wouldn't have even had the idea to begin with. And I think that that's the best way to go about writing a note. You, it has to be something you're interested in and have some type of basis of knowledge about because if not you're gonna not even want to continue doing it once you get to a certain point but also it definitely helped that uh most of my history degree was spent writing papers upon papers upon papers which I think a lot of the time in law school they're trying to teach you a different way to write which is very analytical to read the case apply the facts of the case to the current situation and Uh, research can sometimes get lost in that. So it was nice for me to get back to uh, researching, finding all these different resources, talking to other people in uh, the same industry who may have thoughts about it, who can bring me to further sources. Um, It was nice to get back to that and think about my own idea versus regurgitating the ideas that have that are being told to me Mm, yeah there's a storytelling quality to your note that made it much more compelling than a lot of student papers i've read thank you so i was wondering was there anything in the course of developing and your writing your note that uh professor roberts might have said to you that you found especially helpful in sort of kind of the direction you took the note or your research or the writing process Well, Professor Roberts was actually the one who told me about the merely informational matter concept, which really is how my note took shape. And I think that's another very important thing about you need to really enjoy the topic and you need to find an advisor who knows a lot about what they're talking about and will be able to actually contribute practically to what you're talking about. Because it's nice to have someone to bounce ideas off of, but I think it's even more important to have someone who will be able to contribute Practically, and that's exactly well. Professor Roberts was all of that for me. So, um, 
Yeah, I mean, I've found that a lot of students seem to rely really heavily on older or kind of upper class law students in their writing development process rather than relying on specialists. And that seems like not necessarily such a great approach. Like, do right. you have any advice for other students for going about finding a faculty advisor who can, you know, help them develop their their research and provide advice on developing their their writing? Like I said, I think it's important to have one person who you can consider an advisor, and hopefully it will be easy within your school and even outside of your school to find someone who writes, teaches about, talks about the specific issues that you're interested in. But also I think it's important to not necessarily limit yourself to one person scholars are interested right like they they want to hear ideas so if you are looking for different perspectives because that's what I did I tried to go through my whole writing process have a product and then once I had a draft and something that I felt comfortable talking to people about I then sent it to other trademark professors and IP professors within the school to see if they had any additional thoughts and I found that that was really helpful too. That, that's great. Yeah, I, I, I really encourage students to do the same. And I've actually even had students from law schools other than my own send me nice. papers okay. to take a look at. And I'm always happy to, to read people's stuff. I think a lot of professors are delighted to see students who are excited about the subject matter right. that they're working in. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Katie, thanks so much for coming on the show today. It was really fun talking to you. Yeah, it was great talking to you. I appreciate the opportunity. <laughs> Once there was a land that was grand as grand can be Won't you send in a light, send in a light But it was drowning in fears, in its doubt and misery Won't you send in a man with a light Tell me what was his name, tell me what was his name Who is the man that we honor and acclaim what was his name? Tell me what was his name? Ronald Reagan of honor and fame. Darkness had come, seemed the enemy had won. Send in light, send in light. A war in Vietnam, all but crushed this mighty land. Won't you send in a man with light? What was his name? Tell me what was his name? Who is the man that led us back again? What was his name? Tell me what was his name? Ronald Reagan of honor and fame. Who was the man that freed the hostage in Iran? Send in a light, won't you send in a light? And who took a bullet? Cause he took a fearless stand. I tell you that was the man with a light. Tell me what was his name, tell me what was his name Who stood up to fight and beat the tyrant at his game What was his name, tell me what was his name That name is Ronald Reagan of honor and fame Now he lives on in our heart's eternal flame Send in light, send in light Washington, Lincoln, receive this honored name When we send you a man with light 
Tell me what was his name, tell me what was his name. He's tall as Mount Rushmore and headed for the same. What was his name, tell me what was his name. Forever Ronald Reagan of honor and fame.